Listener Production. Bitcoin, it's down a whopping 70% since its peak last November. So what happened and what is different about this crash compared to the last one five years ago? If you've been in crypto for a long enough period of time, it has gone through very distinct cycles where every time it hits one of those highs, it is followed by a really sharp crash. What is going on with Bitcoin? That is our briefing. That's coming up in the second half of today's episodes, right after the news headlines. Here is what is going on in the world today. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blowers. Thousands of people have been evacuated as heavy rain floods Western Sydney for the fourth time in 18 months. Warragamba Dam has been spilling into the Nepean River where water levels are higher than the 14 metre mark, which they hit in the floods just back in March. And the state emergency services have carried out over 100 rescues on the weekend and there's been more than 3,000 requests for assistance. Yeah, so more than 60 evacuation orders are still in place. That downpour is stretching 500 kilometres from Newcastle right down to Batemans Bay. So there could be another 100 millimetres in the next six hours, then it could ease off. But some parts of New South Wales have already had more than 300 millimetres over the weekend. And to give you some perspective on how much that is, that's a quarter of Sydney's average annual rainfall in a weekend. Oh, it's unbelievable. And of course, holidaymakers from other states, uh, Queensland, WA, states that are on school holidays at the moment, they've been told, cancel your plans. This is an, an actual emergency. So if you have plans to take a trip to New South Wales, possibly rethink that. Anthony Albanese has made a mission to Ukraine to visit Volodymyr Zelensky, the president. Albanese has toured three towns near Kiev. And the fact that you had such a significant force, uh, you can see the use of tanks, missiles, uh, heavy uh, artillery uh, being used in a civilian area. It's just devastating. That's the PM, Anthony Albanese, there. He also promised an extra $100 million in military support, including 20 more Bushmaster armoured vehicles. And that's on top of $285 million we've already pledged. Yes, yeah, so almost $400 million of support for Ukraine. He also announced fresh sanctions on 16 more Russian oligarchs and will ban the import of Russian gold to Australia. And his visit follows a growing list of other Western leaders who've been there, also celebrities, including Sean Penn and Ben Stiller. Nick Kyrgios will fight for a quarterfinal place at Wimbledon tonight when he plays American Brandon Nakashima. It's after he beat world number four Stefanos Tsitsipas in a fiery clash, 6-7, Tom, I thought that they were friends, but clearly there's been some love lost there. Yeah, it got very ugly. So both players received code violations. Um, Tsitsipas hit the ball into the crowd as well as hitting the ball at Kyrgios. Then after the match, Tsitsipas called Kyrgios a bully. Here's what Kyrgios said back. I just think he's making that match about me. Like, he's got some serious issues. Well, someone's got issues. I don't know who. But it does make for entertaining viewing, I think. I know a lot of people have been sort of rolling their eyes at Curios and saying that, you know, he's turned this whole thing into a circus. But, you know, it gets eyeballs on screens at the end of the day. That's what I think. Yeah, but I don't think that's enough. I think you can be entertaining and be a good sport. 
you know, like it is part of the Kyrgios show, but it's how he justifies bad behaviour all the time is that, oh, well, I'm good for the game, obviously meaning, you know, fans are turning up to matches and people are watching on TV, but that's not the ultimate judgment on whether someone's a good sport. Yeah, not great sportsmanship. However, unlike in times in the past where there's been bad behaviour, this time at least he's bringing it to the court and it is Kyrgios's fourth victory over Tsitsipas in five meetings. Uh, meantime, we have some news about Novak Djokovic. Remember him? He was making massive headlines probably for reasons that he didn't want this year. Uh, world number one Djokovic could actually play in the 2023 Australian Open with Australia dropping its vaccination requirement for all international arrivals from this Wednesday. And the latest stats on COVID show that over 10,000 Australians have now died from COVID-19 and more than 7,000 of those have died just this year. Yeah, so the risk factor, just to put this in context, most likely to lead to death from COVID-19 is old age. Infectious disease experts say deaths among young, healthy people who have been vaccinated are still rare. And we're being warned about a third wave of infections in the coming weeks as the new BA4 and BA5 Omicron subvariants increase the risk of reinfection. To those almost 6 million Australians who are eligible but, but have not yet had their booster shot, get out and get a booster. You are not fully protected against this subvariant. That's the Health Minister, Mark Butler, there. And I know, Tom, that uh, in Queensland, we're expected to have that third wave in the next few weeks. And there's been talk about reintroducing a mask mandate, but uh, not very many people in Queensland have had their booster compared to other states. So Mm. authorities are really worried about bringing masks back because they think it'll give people a false sense of security and they won't go out and get their booster. Mm, Yeah, I went out and got mine a few months ago. So boosted up, ready to roll. But yeah, it does worry people when you hear about reinfection because you know a lot of us feel like oh we've had COVID we'll be we'll be Mm. safe but if that's not the case that could be a real downer. Annual NAIDOC celebrations are kicking off across the country today. It's a week that celebrates and recognises the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And they held the big NAIDOC awards on Saturday night in Melbourne and Ash Barty um, was named person of the year. Can't wait to continue my contribution to kids' education and to help them fulfil their dreams. Good on you, Ash. She was awarded the honour for her sporting achievements as well as her role in encouraging Indigenous youth to get active. Yeah, and the theme for NAIDOC this week is Get Up, Stand Up, Show Up, which is about the history of fighting for progress and it urges all Australians to continue to push for systematic change. And I guess that is um, very much in the public debate at the moment as we head towards a referendum on enshrining a First Nations voice. All right, in just a moment, the crypto crash. It's been called the end of crypto. The NFT craze is burning out and Bitcoin has lost 70% of its dollar value since last November. Ouch, right? Yeah, a lot of people have lost a lot of money. Now, it's not the first time the value of cryptocurrencies has taken a massive dive. It happened in 2014 and then again in 2018. But what's different about this crash? Have cryptocurrencies gained more legitimacy or more real-world use since the last crash? Or are these just speculative bubbles that burst on the waves of sentiment? 
God, that sounds like cryptocurrency poetry there, Tom. (laughs) Thank you. Paul Vigna is the finance writer from the Wall Street Journal. He's been following this crazy roller coaster and he joins us on The Briefing now. So, Paul, thank you for joining us. Um, The major stock markets have been having a bad run too. The S&P's off 20% since its peak in December. So how much is that general downturn connected to what's going on with cryptos? The answer is that a lot of a lot of what's going on in the wider capital markets is the same reason that cryptocurrencies have been falling, because over the past couple of years, what you've had is a really sort of large cross pollination of investors between the traditional markets and the crypto markets, such that now there's a lot of sort of professional Wall Street money that is buying into crypto. And what has happened is that crypto has kind of become one more asset in a more traditional portfolio, stocks, bonds, commodities, whatever else you're buying, and and crypto. But crypto is, when you put it up against all those others, crypto is really, it's the riskiest asset that you're buying. So when all the markets were in a risk-on mode, when tech was flying, uh, crypto was flying. It wasn't that long ago that crypto was riding so high. I mean, November 2021, it was was worth so much money. So for you watching on, has this been a surprise? Uh, No. (laughs) In November, the entire crypto market, the value of all the cryptocurrencies that were out there, if you added them up and, and looked at their market prices, they were worth $3 trillion, which is still small compared to the gold market, the bond market, the stock market, but it's mammoth for the crypto market. It had never been valued anywhere nearly that much. Uh, you know, you have January into February, you have all these crypto companies buying Super Bowl ads and, you know, they're hmm. plastering their names all over the place. You know, they really kind of captured the zeitgeist and, and it seemed like, you know, it's never going down and now it's the rocket ship for the moon and then the typical stuff. But if you've been in crypto for a long enough period of time, it has gone through very distinct cycles where every time it hits one of those highs, it is followed by a really sharp crash. Because the thing about cryptocurrencies is that they are really driven by speculation and momentum. That's what drives the trading in them. And once that reverses, it goes fully into reverse. So all that momentum, all that zeitgeist building, when it turned, it just it just turned and, and fell and there was nothing to stop it from falling. So does that leave nothing left? Or since the last boom and bust cycle of 2017, Has there been a lot more infrastructure built around it, trading infrastructure, for example, um, also investment products around it that mean there will be some furniture left despite this wipeout, if you know what I mean? Yep, I do know what you mean. And and the answer is, is, I mean, as much as anybody can predict the future, the answer is probably yes to that question. You're right. In 2017, you were just starting to see some investment products come online that were actually aimed at professional investors. They weren't just for the crypto crowd. They were actively trying to bring in that professional sort of institutional money. That had just started. And by 2020, we're going to 21, those products had matured enough that they actually started to get some real interest and some real money behind them. And that was a big part of what drove the run-up into the end of 2021. Now, what you will probably see in the industry is a big consolidation. 
you know, when funding was easy, anybody could get some money to build something. But if you don't have actual customers, if you don't have actual revenue, you'll start to see some of that fall away. You'll see the stronger companies that do have revenue, that do have profits, they'll buy the weaker ones. They'll, they'll be able to pick and choose what they want. And you will probably see, you know, I don't know, a year, two years, maybe of a, a sort of downswing. And that's the time where a lot of things can get built in anticipation of the next wave. Okay, so I get the sense you're mostly talking about trading platforms, investment products that are built around Bitcoin, but surely its long-term value is really going to be driven by its real-world usefulness. So in this recent cycle, how much advance has there been in the actual real-world trading and use of this currency? And what's the trajectory there? Well, look, you're absolutely right. And I think the answer is that you will probably see in the next five years, assuming that this entire industry doesn't go belly up, which I don't think it will, you'll probably see in the next five years or so some cryptocurrencies, some products that don't exist now, that we don't even know that you know there is a use case. What I really think is going to be interesting over the next five, even 10 years, is I really think you're going to see a lot of the technology behind Bitcoin, behind cryptocurrencies, which is broadly called blockchain. You are going to see that really work its way into the financial markets and start to rewire the financial markets. Stocks, bonds, a lot of these things that we have been trading more or less manually. I know that the systems are electronic, but a lot of it is really kind of manual. It's all going to become digitized and automated. And that is going to, I think that's going to be really interesting. It's really going to open up a lot of things that you can start to do with assets that you couldn't do previously. How you slice up ownership of a company. You know, you, you could tie us um, a security to a specific division of a company rather than it being one share of the entire company. You could tie it to a revenue line. It's just a lot of weird, crazy things that we're, people are just talking about. I don't even think anyone's actually doing them. But I think over the next several years, you're going to see people really start experimenting with that. There are things that are similar and things that are different in this crash compared to the previous ones. What is similar is that this one and all the previous ones have been driven up by the proverbial irrational exuberance. People get very excited. They speculate. They think it's going high. It's still a small market, so it doesn't take a lot of new people coming in to drive the prices up, and it just turns into a mania, and that can only sustain itself for so long. What was different this time was that the market was actually somewhat bigger. Like I said, $3 trillion had never been seen before. So Bitcoin had already become front page news. So when the crash happened, everybody noticed it. Okay, but you're still sort of saying that it was about sentiment, but just so many more people were in, involved in that change in sentiment. But was there more to it, Paul? What about the collapse of platforms like Terra, which was, and I guess this speaks to the, the growing infrastructure around cryptocurrencies. Um, Terra was one of the platforms where you could lend your coin and then get interest payments based on on the loan of of your coin. What's the downfall of services like that part of, the, I guess, this downward spiral? What you've seen in the crypto markets over the last year or two is basically just a reinvention and a retrial of everything the real financial markets have yeah. gone through over the last century or so. 
what happened was you had an entire sector in crypto called DeFi, decentralized finance. And it's basically just a lot of software programs that automate banking functions like lending, like borrowing, paying out interest, trading. All these things have just been automated. Somebody built a program and launches the program and it's off and running. But the problem is that all the things they complain about in the traditional markets that drive up the costs, all the regulation, all the sort of roadblocks, all the headaches, those things are all done to help prevent crashes. And even then, you still have them in the traditional markets. The DeFi sector built this stuff and just launched it and ran with it. And it sounded great for a little while because you could earn a lot of money. You could earn you know, 20% on, on, on a deposit. You could earn some were giving just insane numbers, like numbers that were so high, they were clearly unsustainable and they were probably frauds and some of them turned out to be frauds. They're, you know, again, this is a completely unregulated sector. So it's very much a caveat emptor. And all they really did was they went through like the entire life cycle of financial services over the last 100, even 150 years, and they made all the same mistakes. And now they're at the point where I saw someone the other day say, you know, what we really need is a crypto ratings council where people can look at these projects and look at the software and look at the financials and and figure out whether or not they're stable before people invest in them. Basically, you just said that crypto needs a securities and exchange commission. They're just redoing the entire thing all over again. I mean, look, this was a big washout and there was real money lost and, and people lost a lot of money. Look, on the one hand, it's exciting, right? I mean, you can do anything in crypto and you can make a million dollars overnight. But on the other hand, you get what we've got now. Yeah, well, speculation often drives innovation, right? That's how markets work because when you see people making money, you learn more about it so you can make money too. And that drives innovation and investment in it. And I wonder whether these cycles will just keep continuing. I mean, do you think we'll see a repeat of the last five years where – there's a lot of interest because of the price. So then you get increased innovation around trading, but also potentially the use of Bitcoin. And then it crashes again. And this just goes round and round and round until it eventually becomes much more legitimate. And a part B to that question, do you think those cycles will get faster or slower? I mean, innovation is going to happen. I think that's sort of an innate thing that people do. That's what we do as humans. I don't think you need uh, a crazy investing mania to get people to innovate. No matter what the environment is, you will continue to see people innovate with this technology because the technology really is is pretty fascinating. And this is not just crypto nerds trying to use this now. Pretty much every major commercial bank and central bank on the planet is looking at this technology and figuring out how they can use it to make the financial system better, faster, more efficient, more fair. That is not going to stop regardless of whether or not the market's in the middle of an investment boom or not. That was Paul Vigna from the Wall Street Journal. And you can hear in his voice how much he's loving watching this crazy ride. Yeah, it's a pretty wild one to watch. I mean, I think it's interesting that in the last five years since the last boom bust, there's been so much. I mean, it feels like legitimacy, but a lot of these trading platforms and investment products that have sprung up around cryptocurrencies, they're still just facilitating this investment in this wildly speculative digital asset. Mm. And, you know, I don't think we've seen that much real world development that makes 
it useful. You know, we're still not buying everyday goods with it. And I yeah, wonder whether yeah. it'll just keep rocketing up and down until there's more evidence that it's actually useful in day-to-day life. And tomorrow on The Briefing, what's going on with Christianity? Obviously, it's not just my book, <laughs> but the census figures um, show a massive decline in Christianity again over the last five years. So why is that happening And what does it say about what we actually believe in? Listener.